Hello and welcome everybody to the 50th episode of the Master of Nothing podcast. We are back once again. A big shout out to all the people who listened to the last episode and I do really appreciate it because a part of me was worried that we would have zero listeners after having such a long layoff but I think um, you know it does help obviously uploading it to the Instagram page that we have but I was concerned so thank you very much I do really appreciate that everybody who listened um, it does mean a lot Ryan couldn't make it to this episode um, for episode 15 and now he is dead to me Uh, moving on no I'm kidding so Ryan couldn't do it because we both have full-time jobs Ryan has a full-time job you know he's got a life that he has to live and it isn't always going to line up but one thing I do want to make sure that I'm doing is making sure that this is consistent so if Ryan isn't here I will make an effort to have somebody else on or I will just do it by myself um because the show must go on um but hopefully next time Ryan will be here and we can grill him about why he couldn't make it but in replace of him today we do have a very special guest a rare occurrence only happening three every three years my powerful mother Leanne welcome to the podcast hello Elijah <laughs> and everybody listening slightly nervous yeah it's, it's it's awkward it is awkward like talking like this but I think the more you think about the fact that people are listening the more awkward it becomes right possibly I mean if you think about the fact that we have hours since you've been here we've had hours and hours of conversations with no issues at all it's very easy to talk to one another because well you are my mother uh yes just i'm just not sure who would be interested in listening to our conversations but here we go well that's the beautiful thing about podcasts is that like i think that you need to lean into what you love i think that you need to lean into the things that you're interested in and those listeners will come naturally because we aren't that different after all everybody i don't think and i think people will listen and um but yeah, should we do some quick fire questions so those so listeners can, can get to know you a little bit better, a little bit quicker? Because you're not going to be a frequent guest, obviously, um, living in New Zealand. Sure, Elijah, let's go. Do you have any objections to any questions that could be asked? Um, I'll just choose to take my Fifth Amendment rights. <laughs> oh, oops, wrong country. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, you got a gun to your head. Who's your favourite? Uh, who's the favourite child out of myself, Isaiah, or Summer? You, you know the answer to that, Elijah. I love you all the same. And um, oh, when what I just what like, a cop out! Yeah. What an absolute cop out! Well, unfortunately, Isaiah and Summer both know the answer to that, and uh, it's not your answer. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've done really well. Um, where each of you think you are the favourite, correct? I don't think that I'm, I never, I, in, to, in all honesty, I didn't ever felt like, you know, I felt like we were all treated very fairly. And as I've gotten older, I have noticed, um, you know, listening to podcasts and watching documentaries and all that, that a lot of family dynamics do have, parents do favour kids a lot. And, um, yeah, well, I think that the psychology behind that is often played out in um, the successes and adult relationships between the parents and the children. Yeah, but that's odd, right? But like, even at a young age. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, it's interesting. I hope that all three of you um, know that I love you all equally. 
And if I had to choose um, which one of you to keep alive, uh, if oh I God, had to make morbid. that, I know. If I had to make that choice, I would have to say goodbye to all three. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's. Uh, um, I think as you get older, you're you realise that your relationships with each of your children are very different. However, I think that um, when children are young, making sure that things are even and fair, because I know dealing with young people, fairness is a really big um, bone of contention if they are on the receiving end of what they deem as unfair. Mm. And that happens quite often in a classroom, and therefore they perceive that the teacher has a favourite. And, and I'd assume that as you grow up, you would think that. Um, as I had a quite a bizarre upbringing, um, I didn't... And that's putting it lightly. That, that is putting it very lightly. <laughs> I didn't feel that life was unfair compared to my siblings that mm. I grew up with because we had there were so many other um, things going on in our childhood. Um, mm. And something that I read about when you guys were younger was about um, the dynamics of having um, more than two children is quite different to having two children. So if um, you are one of two, often the child who is good at something, the other child will um, perceive themselves as not being good at it because the other one is better than them. But they may still be significantly better than your average person at something. Mm. Um, and then they play into or grow into roles of, well, he's the smart one, I'm the creative one, she's the sporty one, mm. I'm the this one, and that... Well, they kind of assign themselves. Yes, and, I, and that's really around the dynamics of only having two children in the family mm. but once you get three or more mm. um that is less the case because there are more of you i see yeah crazy what about only one child they end up being serial killers don't they <laughs> <laughs> and you only a couple of only children when i was I, growing up and it yeah. was very evident that they were only children actually more so when i was, was uh started working um, someone said that somebody, a certain person or a staff member that I worked with was an only child. And I was like, yeah, could have picked it. <laughs> yeah, I've had uh, many experiences, which I do feel sorry that um, people who are only children sort of carry um, a bit of stigma from the rest of us who weren't only children around. Um, same thing happened at work. We had somebody come in to deliver some um, professional learning and development. They started off with some fun games that half the half the staff love and the other half um, sort of grit their teeth and do it anyways. And we had to like... All the, all the staff dislike them. Anyone you ask who said that they liked them was lying to you. There's nothing worse than icebreaker games at jobs or with getting to know staff. It's, yeah, have, going to a pub and having a beer is the only natural way to get to know people. These forced games that workplaces make you do are just horrific. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. you yeah, I beg to differ on that one because I've run many um, sessions of professional learning and development over the years and starting with some icebreakers where you put people in teams and the teams compete against each other. Oh, okay, there's the, yeah, yeah that's different. Collectively, they want to win and if you have a big old whiteboard up there and you're scoring, people really do um, let down their guard and try their hardest. True, but you've and been in higher management for so long, you're like, 
you, you're like the government. You're just so out of touch with us everyday people. I disagree. <laughs> Thank you for the compliment, Elijah, thinking that um, my management is high management. If you saw what teachers earn in New Zealand, you would disagree. <laughs> 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 they do call us public servants for a reason. <laughs> um, uh, uh, speaking of public servants, um, you've gone right off track telling, um, asking me the questions, but when I was younger, I um, the first job I ever had was working for the government and they had this um, fantastic thing called glide time so you could glide in and glide out you kept your own time sheet and so you could start early finish early there was a um, sounds so good yeah there was a minimum and a maximum of um, minimum maximum no incorrect there were, um, there were guidelines, you know, like you for the range. you couldn't do it yeah, in yeah, the one, yeah. of, one in the morning type of thing? Or? Oh, yeah, that would be odd. Um, but you couldn't leave before 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock. So you could leave after. Okay. But, yeah, so if you started, you know, otherwise, what would you do? I'd do half a day. Anyways. Um, but, yeah, we'll go, what, what, uh, only children. That's right. You doing icebreaker games with people. We're talking about only children. I think oh, you had an example. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Went way off track. Hey, this um, podcast, we go off track. Yeah. So anyway, in this um, in this icebreaker game, you had to line up um, based on the number of siblings mm. and um, the people, the way the people were standing, um, you had to not talk to anybody and stand, you know, at one end if you had no siblings, no siblings. And at the other end, if you had lots and sort of work it out, you know, so you're trying to work out how many you've got um, and where you are placed in that uh, line. Mm. And um, one of the staff members, she stood down the end for no siblings. And a couple of people said, oh, my gosh, that figures, you know, (laughs) now when I think about it, how mean. Yeah, people are horrible. Yeah, and but, there, and there, you know, and there were actually two people on staff, and it was like, okay, yeah. However, there are many things um, that you can do now to help understand the people that you work with and understand the way they yeah. operate, um, and some of those things are really good. Yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting hearing yourself. You know, people start to connect dots that don't exist when they find out that people are like only children or not. They go, oh, that's why they do this. That's why they do that. But um. I'm so, so thankful that I was not an only child. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think about my childhood and how boring it would have been and how... And, like, we're... You know, I'm very thankful for the childhood that we had because we grew up and we don't hate each other. The amount of brothers and sisters that I know that don't talk to each other, um, don't want anything to do with each other, or they move away to get as far away... And, look, me living in Australia and my... Is that you guys living in New Zealand isn't a result of me trying to get away from you guys um even since i got here i was you know been trying to see you guys and get you guys to come over and all but there are some siblings who weird shit happens in their childhood and um they end up hating each other i have a theory on that it could be just bro science um i do oh, it's believe all bro science yeah i do believe that sometimes that conflict between siblings is created by parents having perceived favorites mm. and fairness no i get that unfairness over the course of um you know a classroom against your other peers maybe not doesn't affect you that much uh, unfairness over the course of a lifetime over a whole childhood i can definitely see how that would build resentment um but no we had 
yeah, we were never um, pitched against each other, which was good. We were never, there was a, a bit of a competitive edge with me and Isaiah, which is funny because he's so much younger, but he would always try and do things. Like we, I mean, I guess that was more between us. That was never you know, something that was um, manufactured by you guys. Unless you had these, um, um, sorry, we just had a, a technical issue with one of the microphones. I had to pause, but we are back. Um, but yeah, happy Mother's Day. Thank you, Elijah. For two days ago. It's, um, I haven't seen you in three years, which is odd. It is really odd. But would you say that we're used to it by now? Mm, yeah. I, mean, I, spend... I don't, I don't, I, I think that, um, your children are like your really good friends. So when you haven't seen them for a period of time, when you get back together, you just pick off, we pick up where you left off. Mm. Um, it's like that thing on Pulp Fiction, I think it was the movie where they talk about the un- um, comfortable silence or the uncomfortable silence. Mm. Um, with some people you feel like you have to talk because it's uncomfortable to sit there beside them mm. um, but with those besties in your life and your besties also include your children hopefully um, and family in that you can have uncomfortable silences gaps and spaces and just pick up where you left off yeah I yeah I think so like I mean I people are always like oh it must be so hard it is hard being away from family but I think the time that I was because I was here my for people listening who don't don't know that if I haven't brought it up before I lived in Sydney away from my family from 17 to 20 21 yeah we were try- I was trying to work out um I can't, I can't remember yeah exactly the time frame I do know that as my children get older and both you and summer have had quite big stints out of living in different cities to me whether or not mm. that's overseas or in another um, city in uh, um, New Zealand and I do miss you both and I um, yeah it, it, it is challenging as a parent because when you're in the same city you do seem you know you can eat more you can go out for coffee you can um, yeah. catch up you know you're always there for family dinners and even when because as young people your lives are busy um and um and that but being able to have everybody there at a, at a family dinner is um is a, is a treat as you yeah. get older yeah priceless some would say um yeah, that was the biggest shock when i moved over here and then had that massive stint away from azaya and summer for those listening my brother and sister um just how different they were because those are such formative years right when i left what well, i would have been 13 mm. on oh, no, a 12 or around that age anyway summer would have been 12 or 11. well isaiah was at high school so yeah 12 because you, you're yeah. at high school you're 12 or 13 he would have been 13. yeah yeah because he's four years younger than me was 17 yeah 13 yeah, yeah, or well, thirteen, twenty, fourteen. Yeah, because he's in January. Oh, and he's also ahead of you. For his, uh, his uh, he could have been in the previous year. Okay, on paper, he's ahead of you. <laughs> so yeah, Zay, if you're listening, I love you, and that was a joke, but I mean it. Um, and so, but so when I come back, when I come back there, what? It's five years later or so. Isaiah is now eighteen. 
or is that, yeah, Isaiah's 18, because I'm 21. Oh my gosh, you're a math teacher. Yes. Can you make this least painful, please? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to hear you count backwards on your fingers, no, okay? Podcast but... math is horrible. <laughs> I'm just thinking that meme of all the numbers in the background. Oh my gosh. Okay, the way we want to explain it is my you vision, went overseas. My vision of Goodwill Hunting is I figure out how old me and my brother and sister are. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> when, when, when are you going to swoop in? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's the trauma i have from mum was a math teacher so growing up doing maths was horrible <laughs> i'd just like to say that um you and both your siblings were actually very good at it but people never think they're good at maths because it is hard we were uh, not good at maths okay you actually were good. we were not good at maths there, there are government documents that can prove that we were not good at maths <laughs> Actually, you were because I've dealt with many students. And but see, that's the thing with mothers. See, you you recognise our potential always. Maybe we had the potential to be good at maths, but I know for a fact I was not good at maths. English let's, English is a subject different. I was okay at English. You were very good at English. Um, let's okay. talk about that. Um, let's talk about that word potential. Elijah, because oh um, isn't that the burden of every boy in school? Every boy has potential. Oh, well, he has good potential. He's just picking his nose in the corner of the room and flicking it at people. I don't think it's um, uh, restricted to um, just the boys, but um, if girls are smart, they usually are just smart. Like they just, they are just, you know, they do diligent. Uh, yeah, they do. They just do well in school. Boys, boys, boys can have the potential to do well at school and they just do terrible yeah but that um that word potential you know let's think about the report writing he or she has the potential to do well it's the catchphrase mm. Mm. but the reality the reality yeah. the reality is um people choose to do well when it's something that really interests them um or they're reaping the benefits of it and they enjoy that factor of um achieving yeah that particular thing um and you you know hopefully reach your potential in your life at some stage with something but if we were restricted to achieving it while we're in a secondary education only mm. and i think that um schools are there to help you be lifelong learners and reach that potential at some stage with something yeah yeah it's like yeah like not everything that you learn at school is is, is meant for you to be to to use in real life right like people are like we were like when was i ever going to use pythagoras's theorem in my everyday life if you're a builder every day yeah if you're a builder but like if you're not it's not the fact that you're going to be going out and using pythagoras's theorem every day it's the idea of of understanding how things work learning to learn learning to learn and learning to problem solve right yeah absolutely and um so one of the um one of the challenging um assessments that um students do when they first start secondary school is re the reasoning test but if you ever look at the reasoning questions which some staff actually struggle with if you practice doing problem solving questions of a similar nature you know like um which one of these doesn't belong the dot is in one corner the dot the shades are back to front and the dots mm. in another corner etc that sort of thing mm. um if you practice that and uh you get better at it you know so uh, um it's like anything it's that grit 
and practice that mm. helps you to improve. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if that doesn't come easy for some people, then you think, mm, not for me. But for others, they enjoy that challenge. Yeah. That's why Wordle is popular, isn't it? Yeah, Wordle's good. And I challenge anyone to Wordle. I feel like I'm the Wordle master. At work, we feel Sudoku? That. I'm not good at those. Yeah, but if you tell yourself, this is what I've told you, Isaiah, and Summer, if you tell yourself you're not good at it, you are not going to be good at it, Elijah. That, that is... But there is just things that you are innately good at and things that you aren't. And it seems to be... Possibly. Whatever, whatever games or things that are aligned more with, like, words and English and, like, vocabulary, I do much better than, than I ever did with numbers. numbers. As a teacher, I find that really challenging when people... The opening is, I'm not good at it, because that self-talk determines the outcome. That's true. And I'm glad that you're saying that as a teacher. You hear that? That's what teachers should sound like. <laughs> Not like some of the bully-ass teachers we had when I was growing up. Oh, my gosh. I will never forget. And I don't care about naming and shaming. He's probably well in dust now. But Mr. Squirrel, the graphics teacher from Burnside High, anyone else, can anyone who remembers Mr. Squirrel from Burnside um, will remember how much of an absolute peanut he was. And, and uh, just the worst. I don't know why people start teaching kids who hate kids. And that's the one thing I can say to you, because for those listening, mum is a teacher um, and the, well, the principal at um, at a school in Christchurch. Uh, we don't need to disclose what school, but I mean, people who know obviously know. Um, and I can honestly say that you love teaching kids and you love caring about kids. And I've noticed that all my life, and I think that probably does have a lot to do with why um, I really love my job in youth work um, and why Isaiah is geared towards work with young people as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I must... Being a teacher, and look, you can answer what you want to answer. Obviously, you, you know, there's certain things you wouldn't want to say because of your role and all that. But one thing I noticed... People constantly bag on the school system, constantly. People have issues about it, and I'm going to sneeze, hold on. <coughs> Pardon me, oh my gosh. Um, well, there's this crazy machine happening in the background with education, and it is the, um, for us in New Zealand, it's the Ministry of Education uh, dictating what changes need to happen to a particular part of the curriculum or a curriculum that needs to be introduced mm. um, the way assessments are driven in that and so possibly that is but, but the beef that some people have about the education system but, but i think even more so like breaking it down to things that are even more simpler like um the way a classroom is set up the way we sit at desks, the way we do that like a lot of things it's eurocentric yeah well it started off a certain way um however many years ago and we haven't changed it the only thing that's changed is obviously the content that's on the walls and the students like it seemed you look at old photos from hundreds of years ago and it seems that kids that was the same way that we have classrooms set up now that's the same way things are taught it seems everything has kind of progressed but in a way i mean aside from content because i know the content is and the way teachers teach, obviously, but just the way the classrooms are set up, it seems that that's kind of stayed the same, right? Oh, no, I have to disagree with you if you're allowed to disagree with a podcast host. <laughs> Not sure about that. 
fun. Don't act I'll, all coy and shy like you don't disagree with me in real life. Okay. Like a, like a, we like frequently, a yeah. Elijah and I frequently debate, and um, sometimes he's right. I mean, hey, <laughs> throw him a bone occasionally. <clears throat> but um, as Elijah's been out of the classroom for quite some time, there was this movement, and I don't know whether it was, well, I don't know, it actually wasn't just in New Zealand. However, it did move through New Zealand, and it was called Modern, modern Learning Environments, um, also known as Take Down the Walls and Put Lots of Children in a Room Together and um, have them all oh, learning. Weird. In, yeah, well, it's a, it's, it's a lot deeper than that. Anywho, the point of this is that I think, well, I know the rationale behind it was to remove that very old um, way of teaching where students sat in their desk, looked ahead, and as we all know now, if a child has a tendency to need to move to learn, which plenty do, yeah. being forced to sit in a seat, I mean, in the end they just end up being the child who gets referred out because they can't actually learn being made to sit in the seat. But um, modern learning environments wanted to cater for the children who didn't want to do that, and so they might have a they might have a a bit of a teach in a corner, um, and then they break off into different areas. Um, but I went to this professional learning and development one year, not long after that all started, because that didn't work for all children, and mm. some kids were then missing out on the education, and they. So they, they worked better under the regular. The, yeah, that's yeah. right. What what the what was formerly all known as the norm, yeah. and um and I can't vanilla ask kids, and um, they're the boring ones, and <laughs> the classroom. Um, anyways, at this professional learning and development um, workshop, it said about this principal got up and he said. Uh, the best way to do it is actually a breakout space. It's the kids who needed to be in a quiet space could be in a quiet space. And then those who needed to work with a group and others in order um, to achieve to the best of their ability did. And so you didn't knock down all the walls, but you had different, different spaces yeah, within the classroom. Uh, so that makes that, that makes so much more sense to me. But then would not the class, like see if kids came in and then you separated them into classrooms where they would, with their learning abilities, with the kids who like to move around and stuff like that, would those classrooms not just be chaos? Um, or a, a little controlled chaos, right? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Because um, I imagine control, the majority yeah. would be boys. Well, the teacher ideally becomes a facilitator, you know, yeah. of um, a, a, the facilitator of the learning as mm. opposed to um, lecturing and the kids sitting there and just taking in what um was being um though they were being told yeah yeah um however it is challenging um because that's all about the teacher's practice but that's very much the movement is for teachers to explore and understand their own practice so that the way in which they teach meets the needs of the learner and mm. the learner looks different for many in the classroom i mean not if you've got a class of 20 something um they're not all going to learn in different ways but it's knowing how they learn in the way that best motivates that child and the only way you can do that is by having a relationship with the child so relational Giving practice shit. yeah yeah caring well no i disagree with you again elijah number two um, <laughs> disagreement um because some people are relational and teaching is really turned around so back in the day 
um, the teacher could stand up and lecture and be an expert on their subject matter. Mm. Um, now we know that in order for a lot of our learners, particularly those who are marginalised and don't achieve, mm. and who um, things, you know, um, uh, for those learners, the teacher has to have a relationship with them. Mm and a professional relationship but a relationship which what that looks like is that i want to know you who you are what matters to you your background your values your culture yeah yeah know the learner it's like basic 101 build, and build, so building a rapport right. building a rapport just because and so teachers now tend to be relational yeah and um uh, and that matters because that's how you engage your learner Mm. And, you know, I, I've seen it um, a lot where when students want to choose their subjects, they'll have a really, they'll have a favourite teacher mm. and they'll want to take that subject because of the teacher. And I think um, years ago we did a web of PRD on um, what teachers experienced when they were in school, what made them what want PRD? professional learning and development, okay. uh, what made them want to become uh, educators mm. and just about every single one of them had uh, a teacher that they loved when they were at school. Yeah. Yeah, and um, that was what lit the fire for them in terms of teaching. Some people are natural teachers. Um, when uh, I was a head of department, I had a couple of trainee teachers um, that had chosen to go into teaching that weren't good, and mm. I had to have that um, conversation with them. Or separately or separate occasions and just say actually i don't think this is the career for you yeah you know after watching you multiple times and that and you might want to really think about that yeah and that's so good yeah you have that's, to do that oh man just the yeah poor teachers i mean i think I, you can develop your skill set as a teacher mm. and it's always evolving and changing i think that but that, if, but that relational thing that that's hard to teach Yes. That's very hard to teach. Yeah. And then there's people like working in youth work, there's people who just consistently struggle to build rapport with kids and they just don't get it. And they just, they really struggle to build that relationship and build that kind of sense of trust between the two. Um, but I do, I, I know what you mean when you see people who are naturally good teachers. I worked with a guy this, uh, the, when I used to work at Tupunawai. And I mean, listen, I, I can, his name was Blair and he was, um, he was just naturally the most amazing teacher. I mean, like kid would staff him to work with the kid and work through their work, um, their schoolwork with them, because some of these kids had really you know difficult learning disabilities, um, and had a lot of trouble working in the environments. It, I mean, it's a it's a juvie, you know. So there's a lot lots of stuff going on, lots of stuff going on for them, um, and he was just an amazing teacher, and he wasn't a teacher. And in my head, I always thought that's the kind of dude you want teaching kids that um, can build relationships, build rapport, super patient, and just able to. That's a big one, right? Patience. Yeah, patience. Oh, care for me as a teacher. When I think about teachers at care, yes, being relationship, relational is important, but I want my teachers to want for these students what they want for their own kids. Mm. And that means that you want the absolute best for them. Well, you, you would hope that that's what the parents would want for their kids. Yes. And um, so wanting that 
one you have to be able to relate to the child obviously um as we've just discussed but the other thing is is um supporting them to achieve mm. because that's that's what they leave school with they could leave school with having a good relationship with you but if they've got no qualifications in their um, back pocket mm. one they probably don't feel very good about themselves um mm. when they leave school uh and the other they've got no next steps or pathways and you only have them for this period of time and then they go off into the world and um yeah is it yeah, moving into being a principal because when i was a um, deputy principal it was you were in charge of the operations of the day yeah basically you're making sure that things run every day yeah um when you become a principal and it is quite a challenge to take that step into that um different space you are thinking strategically but also really conveying that expectation um that you want the children to leave high school learning uh, having a love of learning and also having everything that you could possibly give them in terms of qualifications so that they can make that next step in the world and feel good about it yeah yeah feeling good about themselves feeling good about their time that i reckon that's so important there's some people who talk about high school like it was just this absolute scourge of their life like the, the high school for some people is traumatic yeah people will spend a lifetime getting over their high school years yeah which is crazy yeah as people do about their childhoods yeah yeah but like you know i think the childhood ones because it's at an age where you don't sometimes you remember sometimes you don't it's more of a subconscious it's more of like a deeper trauma than like the the school one like i think you go through school being bullied and all that you just it's such a fresh memory i mean it's you're only a couple years away from your your formative adult years um yeah no i think you know schooling um whether you're part of the staff in the school or whether you're a student or a parent it's all quite challenging and complex mm. i mean things evolve you know when i was at school you didn't have social media um true and so you know do you I get issues at school people seeing dick pics surely that's been brought up in the staff meeting uh no not exactly that large but people do send lies people do send <laughs> lies <laughs> there's definitely been, there has to be an issue here they haven't brought up people seeing dick pics <laughs> i don't believe you uh, but, well if you mean that um kids sending inappropriate images yes but um <laughs> but one of the one of the one of the things um uh one of uh, my punishment yeah <laughs> one of my staff members shared this clip on sleep and how important sleep is mm. so anyway recently i do occasionally go back into the classroom and um uh, uh try and teach the young people something but anyways i was taking this relief class and it was a health class mm. and they had to create the food diary and we started talking and we got way off track as a reliever does and uh, well, it sounds daunting a food diary yeah well it was my like bible and anyways <laughs> um uh, yeah I, don't, I can't remember what the end of the task was or what the full task was but um we got into um eating and sleeping and then uh, of course a mess teacher came out of me and i wanted to do a tally of how many hours sleep this particular class did it had so we could average it and um so we got into that and going around and finding out um when they went to sleep and when they got up oh that's right 
uh, we started talking about the food and when they wake up in the morning they feel you know fresh and ready to go and they said no they feel tired and lethargic and yeah teenagers right yeah yeah um using their own language um to describe how they feel so we got into this how many hours sleep and honestly at the end of that lesson i was saying to them this classroom is a health it's in danger it's <laughs> such a health risk this class we need to all work out how we're going to improve our sleep the amount of sleep that um, on average, a child in that class um, got was so was so small, and you know a lot of this can be attributed to being able to be on your device. I reckon social media one hundred percent because yeah. social media, although it did exist when I was younger and when I was at school, um, it wasn't the machine that it is now. Like I, I couldn't spend hours up on an app on my phone because phones just weren't that interesting. I mean, when I was well, also, I took turn the internet off. Like yeah, that, that, that too. <laughs> oh my gosh, the arguments. But but like the flip phones that we had, and like, I remember I had a Motorola that was the first phone I had was a Motorola, black and white. Couldn't do anything on it. Second phone I had was like a Nokia. The only game you could play on it was Snake. Um, but they just weren't that entertaining. So you like, I remember sleeping lots when I was a teenager. Like, that, like, isn't that traditionally the thing that teenagers do a lot, yeah. is sleep a lot? Well, when I was with this class, we did a bit of a Google search of how many hours sleep they actually need, which far exceeds eight hours, because of course they're developing. Um, and, um, and so a lot of them weren't getting anywhere near that. Um, some as little as four to, four to six hours. Um, that's crazy as a, as a teenager yes and of course what I was telling them this video that I'd watched that the staff member shared was about how your brain needs that sleep mm. for learning mm. and so you're already starting way back from the start line um, for your learning for the day if you come to school and you're tired in there but the problem is that well I think the problem is is that the social media keeps going and when you go to when the, um, young people some and probably quite a lot from um, what I um, have learnt about is they go to bed and they still continue to socialise. And when I when I was yeah, the a, machine doesn't stop. Yeah, when I it was really a kid, does, it's twenty four seven. Yeah, when I was when I was a young person, which was many moons ago. Oh my you, gosh! <laughs> actually, we didn't even have Walkmans. So yeah, wow, is it is it even little, in recorded history? <laughs> But the but the thing is, you when you finish seeing your friends and you arrive home, that's it. But these young people keep socialising well into the evening. Dick pics, dick pics, yeah, dick okay. pics. That is not what they're doing. But they keep socialising well and in, well into the evening. And what parents need to do is to be able to take that off them and I and help them to learn to manage that I'm not really sure in hindsight me turning off the internet every night at a certain time um, for you your sister and your brother was the best way because you probably didn't learn how to manage that yourselves however for I think you do need to educate your child and to put some constraints on their ability to access um, the internet once they've gone to bed. Yeah. Whether I, it's leaving your phone out. So, I mean, some parents have some really good system, but a lot don't because young people are very equipped with their rights. And now that phones are basically an extension on a young person's hand, yeah. um, it's even harder to remove them. And, you know, many situations over the years where 
And I remember we had one set of parents in saying, you know, he's up all night taking a uh, playing PlayStation or whatever it was. And this is going back quite a few years. Beat him. <laughs> Beat him. <laughs> and I've seen so simple. Beat him up with the PlayStation. No, don't he will beat never him play up it again. PlayStation. But it seems so simple. Um, just pull it, unplug it, and take the PlayStation and remove it. Yeah, but is, is he a white kid? He'll probably threaten to kill himself. No. <laughs> His ethnicity, Elijah, or skin colour makes no difference. Fuck you, Mom. Elijah. I'm going to jump off the balcony. I'd just like to say on this podcast that, Elijah, you are not allowed to swear. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, but what seems so simple um, is not that simple for some people. Yeah. But sleep, uh, definitely. And then... Um, uh, one of my friends who's also, um, uh, well, is a, a deputy principal in the school, said that some of the um, PLD that she's gone to on well-being, that sleep deprivation is very, very much connected to the well-being of young people and the depression um, and anxiety um, mm. that uh, that young people experience. So it's all it's all entwined. Yeah, I, I, young people with anxiety and, and, and there being more, but I just think there's more things for kids to be anxious about these days. Um, I think possibly when you were growing up, um, there were fewer things to worry about. Things a kid has to worry about now, I mean, they just have so many more options afforded to them. So the potential for them, like they, they, they have... And there's just so many little pockets of, commu- of you know society where they could go into, they could be a part of. Um, I'm assuming, obviously, the, the sleep is a huge part of it, but the world is bigger for kids these days. The world was Absolutely. not so big for kids growing up through the 80s and through the 90s. I the, would agree. The, and, and it was very simple, right? You finished, you go to school, you either go to university or you either get a job. And you just sort of stay put in the city you're in. And then you know, every year you have a two-week holiday in somewhere around the world. The option to go study somewhere. And, you know, kids, you can bounce around the world as much as you like now. Yeah. And it doesn't seem, it's not that hard. You can do it from an app on your phone. You can you can organize a, an OE from your phone um, and go do it the moment you have the money to do it. But back in the day, I don't think there was that many options. Yeah, I don't know. It, dep- it depended, um, I suppose, on uh, well, your socioeconomic level that you grew up in, the people that you're around. Um, but we all know the more options you have, um, you know, that you go into a shop, if there's only three options, it's, it's quite easy. Yeah. If you go into a shop and there's like 30 options, that becomes, you know, painfully challenging to decide which one mm. um, you're going to um, select. So, yes, you could be right. Uh, I suppose for for schools, you know, if when young people leave school, if they have developed a love of learning and continue to learn throughout their life, and as we were discussing yesterday, become reflective people, reflecting on, you know, a situation that they've experienced and they learn from it, modify mm. behaviour. I mean, I, I don't know, you're still in your 20s, but I know I wouldn't. Only just. Yeah, I know that we're, I... We're hanging on to the... Like I'm on the edge of a cliff at the moment. It's not that bad, Elijah. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not scared of... Um... Uh, um, but when, you know, when you are my age, you look back and you think, oh my gosh, my 20-something self, self wasn't 
somebody that I'd want to be today. Yeah. So with age, whilst people are a little bit fearful of age, possibly comes wisdom if you reflect and act on the lessons that you've learned through life. And at the end of the day, as you get older, you really um, value the relationships you have with um, people, what you can do, how you conduct yourself. You know, you and I are both are fans of Dexter and he lived by a code. We all live by a code. Oh my gosh, can we not uh, compare ourselves to Dexter, please? Okay, you know, it was a serial who, killer. The guy who murdered people in a glad wrapped bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. But Dexter had a code in which There's he so many people who had a code, Mum, that you could use as a better example than Dexter the murderer. Yeah, but that was that was significant to the whole show, wasn't it? That's Otherwise true. he was just he was just a serial killer, killing people, and that's just weird to watch. Um uh, but he had a code in which he selected the people that he killed. Uh, this is not the code in which we want to live our lives. However, the it's a metaphor, right? <laughs> it we, is a metaphor. we can look at the victims as goals, right? <laughs> Killing these goals. Oh, my gosh. But the, the reality is that we, if you know, as you get older, you value people, you value the way that you treat people and um, how you can contribute to the world. And mm. um, these are important things. Be- being a fruitful member of, the, of your community. All right, I've got a question. Tomorrow you've been put in charge. You've made prime minister. Um, the first thing that you're going to change of, um, of New Zealand. Okay. Yeah, because they're female friendly. Not many other places in the world have female leaders, Mum. So let's let's bear that in mind. <laughs> yeah, you're 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 tomorrow you're made prime minister of New Zealand. What's the first thing you're going to change? Um, the electing a government every three years. Because um, is it four? No, that's is it three America. Years? Yeah. Okay. America, you do two terms of four years. Um, in New Zealand, um, that stops um, real progress um, for the country because um, terms are for three years. So um, there's always that promise of what you're going to do, and you can't uh, forecast in the long run. And um, that stops the progress. Mm. So that would be the first thing. So I would say that the the two leading parties, you know, um, as we discussed, have to collaborate and rule the country together for a long term. Um, and so it is not about anybody winning. It is about the country progressing. And that um, that is that is the goal. Yeah. So the system that we have at the moment, what people will at the beginning of their term say what they want to do, and then they have the what the three years to prove it, and then the last year is the year where they things should have hopefully come into fruition. Is that right? Yeah. But everybody knows that true progress and change of a country is never going to happen in a three-year term, especially if in the last year of that term you're promising new things you've got to be able to look at the country and as i said to you yesterday in a small country like new zealand which they used to back in the day say we were the perfect sample size um uh, in a country like new zealand we should be able to eradicate homelessness and poverty to some degree to some degree yeah because i've I've had this debate with someone recently and i just don't think that you're ever going to um get rid of poverty you're never going to get rid of people living you, obviously that doesn't there's not a reason to not try and that's not you can get and you, you might get close you might yeah. affect the curve but i could be incorrect about um 
the exactness of the timeline in my head about the way things sort of have evolved in New Zealand but I do remember a time when we didn't have homeless sitting around on the streets mm. now I don't think it was that, because I didn't because, notice is that because of they were in psych wards yeah and the legislation around have holding patients yes. against their will change yeah I know they did happen in like the 60s 70s or something like that yeah well it would have been later than that because it's born in the 70s but um okay let's be generous <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure whether you'll hear this on the podcast if you're listening as I slap Elijah around the ear. But anyways, it's no longer child abuse because he's an adult. Um, uh, yeah, now it's just assault. Yeah, it's just assault, <laughs> common assault. But um, yeah, no, there was a time where um, the government would provide um, social housing for those. And so you've got to think about this. Those people that are not well enough to look after themselves and in, in society and need help with the everyday tasks but they aren't they aren't restricted in their functions or their mental capacity or abilities enough to be in lock-up care mm. and they and, and they're not a danger and they're not that's the biggest thing yeah they're not a danger to other people and so what what happened was there was this change and i can't remember this i'm not exactly sure on my facts here but um there was this change where those people were told that they could live in society and they removed all those little housing units and that that were around hospitals or mm. in society where they were cared for and they would be given um social workers to work with them mm. and so you know a lot of the um these people i'm assuming uh who haven't been able to look after themselves who can't uh, maintain an address because that's one of the conditions of getting a benefit in new zealand um or you know see a doctor regularly for a medical certificate um may or suffer from um uh, mental um or whatever yeah um quite possibly uh, more at risk of becoming homeless and that's why it's got yeah no that makes sense and what What's sad about that is... Um, because could, I'm picking, Elijah, that, you know, in New Zealand, you can get a benefit and you can get support to get into things, but somebody's got to help you sometimes to get to that place because I'm mm. assuming that nobody really wants to live on the side of the street and beg for money. Yeah, well, I mean, we don't know that, right? Because some people, it could be a choice. There's just, like, mental illness... It looks so different for everybody. Who knows I don't what know, kind of... Yeah, no, I don't know. Well, I'm assuming that they, nobody really does want to live like that. I heard, there, I heard there was these, like, these rich people who have spent their whole life, you know, being trust fund babies and all that, long lines of, of wealth that um, get sick of it and just throw it away and one day will just walk away from all the money they have and live on the streets. I okay. wonder if that's true. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But... Um, yeah, I mean, that's just your basic human right, isn't it? To have food, mm. have shelter. Um, and there was a, um, and I don't know how far they went with this, because one of the problems with, like, because there was apparently a very big shortage in New Zealand of men, um, of uh, shelters for men, because... Um, People don't give a shit about men. No. Men's, men's, men's suffering seems to be, like, it's, it's almost comical. Like I don't know whether that is um, the case but it is yeah but going to some of the shelters you have to be clean so you can't be drunk 
Mm. Um, you can't be on high on drugs or whatever. But for a lot of these people, they do have. Jesus, how strict. <laughs> you have to. So God, I'm depressed. Let uh, me have a beer and come in. So they started up some uh, um, shelter for men where you could turn up if, you know, you are drunk because that's where they're at. Oh, let me guess. It was just the worst? Yeah. No, no, no. I don't know. It was trying to meet the needs that were out there because, of course, if you couldn't go and take advantage of that shelter because mm. you'd been drinking, but drinking is an addiction, and we all know that, you know, unless you get help, you, you, you know, you can't get over that addiction in yeah. most cases. And um, so that it was a good move so that this, there was just shelters like, you know, come as you are. Mm. Um, and I don't know. I don't know whether that still exists actually, because that, that would have been a couple of years ago that I heard about that. Um, but we need more kindness in the world. Um, we need um, we need policies and systems and processes um, that the government deliver that meet the needs of those who are marginalised. Mm. Redistribution of wealth. Oh, um, no, let's not do that. Yeah, that, that you and I slightly disagree on. Yeah. Um, you know. If you I, if you are earning I mean, a, a ridiculous amount of money, I mean, I do think that you should be taxed at a far higher rate, and we should be putting that money back into those I agree. Um, I'll, areas. I'll, but there needs to be more accountability with the way in which the government spends the money. Yes, and, and I, I think there needs to be um, ways. There needs to be ways for people who do earn, you know, absorbent amounts of money to not be able to find loopholes in the way they pay tax because their tax can make a huge difference. They they, they find loopholes. Yeah. And they're, they're able to avoid paying tax. And I think we talked about, what, like taxing assets, um, like an asset tax, but like the redistribution of wealth, it doesn't seem to have worked in the in, in the past. It doesn't seem to be very good examples of that working. Mm. Like, because it, it borderlines on communism, right? Yeah. Yes, big time. And any example of communism in um in the world has ended horribly, and often in extreme famines and people and you know huge death tolls, um, which I'm not sure we would want to go down that road. No, but um, yeah. Well, anyways, um, I suppose so. Back to your original question, what would I do? I think the way in which we elect our government and the time frame they have in which to enact change um, is inherently problematic to start with, mm. to make any change in the long run mm. for a country. We are a small country, cost of living is going through the roof at the moment. Um, you know, there are many things that we could do because we're small enough to manage, I think. Yeah. But the All Blacks are doing good, so uh, <laughs> who needs to have country reform when the All Blacks are killing it? Actually, they're not doing that great. Did you, have, did you remember that stat that um, came out about uh, rates of domestic violence goes up whenever there's an all-black loss? No. Yeah, I remember that the the time I sp the, the short time that I spent at uni was um that was one of the stats they brought up. I was like, damn. Yeah, that's not okay. That's horrific. Yeah, it is. But but it was like a it was kind of attacking rugby culture where I think you're putting the energy into the wrong, you're directing your energy at the wrong place, right? Well, I think the, the issue people, is the, the issue is the those people, men, not rugby itself. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just something that they're passionate about. Yeah, it is. Like if you looked across the board on like maybe on I'm, days where they have races, on like big races. 
I'm but sure there's another period of time when domestic violence goes up as well. Yeah, but those men um, in their behaviour that is not okay is not only going to ever happen when the All Blacks yeah. don't win a game. It would have happened multiple times. Yeah, How do you I'm empower the, the victims to actually make that decision to move away from that situation and for those um, offenders to seek help? Yeah, that's the issue with like taking stats, is that stats, I don't trust them anymore. Unless it's... Um, you can make statistics look any way you want. Exactly. And you can pull them from... And if you just give one statistic, you really need to give statistics around the whole subject for you to get an idea of how significant that is. Because otherwise, they're just... You know, it's, it's very easy to make it seem like, oh, that's really bad. But that might be very common. Yeah, if you do, um, like, with... Well, as you know, I've read a lot of research over the years. A meta-analysis... Um, where many studies are put together. So, you know, if you take statistics from several angles mm. and they are unbiased samples, randomly selected samples, etc., you know, you could, I think those statistics could be quite um, relevant and mm. um, indicative of whatever it is you're looking at. Well, the, the, you you the, can dig deep into statistics a little bit. The, the wage gap one is a huge one. Yeah. That's a, that's a uh, by my understanding, that's a hugely misunderstood statistic. Well, that's because um, there are other factors, variables in that. Yes, it's not statistic. When they hear that there's like a wage gap, and, and it, it, it does exist, the wage gap does exist, but it doesn't exist in the way that people like to think it does. That mean uh, we're working the same job. Me and Sally work the exact same job, exact same role, and she gets paid less than I do. Is that not illegal? It is, right? Sorry, say that again. So myself and another female work the exact same job, exact same role, on the exact same level. Um, well, it uh, that actually depends on the, your employment agreement. I so, see, yeah. So where it becomes unfair, and I've experienced this myself and have seen it, is where um, men are given roles that females deserve um, or are as qualified for, but they're given it because they are, they are a man. Mm. Yeah. Or, or they have a different employment contract with different um, conditions to what the female's been offered. But also they say, um, and I learned this years ago when I first started interviewing people, and my then boss and we interviewed this guy and it all started off well and by the end of it um he leads the room and um you know he was really quite um able to uh, um boast himself up in that interview and sell himself really well and my then boss said did you notice how he started as one person and as the interview went on got better and better and better mm. and females walk in and often say what they're not good at mm. before they start to say what they're really good at. Yeah. And um, so I don't know where that comes from. Well, uh, I did listen to a thing about the personality traits and where men, uh, women are more, men are less agreeable than women. As like a, across the board, obviously there are exceptions to the rule, which yeah is important to, to note, but across generally speaking women are less agreeable um no men are less agreeable than women which in terms of uh, applying for jobs and stuff like that would probably look like 
men being a bit more um bit more forward confident confident a bit overconfident. more confident overconfident a bit more aggressive um whereas um, or a, or a maybe a just actually able to say i can do that i can do this i can do that whereas yeah yeah we think about what we can't do possibly females beforehand yeah. i don't know i don't and know the females being more agreeable is it's a, it's a, not a bad thing it's like a because there's, it's nice to be around people who are, are you know are more agreeable right they're less confrontational they're probably more empathetic they're probably more lots of things um but i think maybe in terms of like employment it comes through in a negative way where they're not getting roles or they're not able to but i'm not saying that obviously a lot of sexism does exist um oh ab absolutely yeah. and um and then you know i have um Oh, just been saddened by cases, you know, I remember one teacher in particular who decided to take, um, to change his name so that he wasn't discriminated against by having a name um, yeah, that was um, Polynesian, yeah. um, that was, um, that was very revealing on a CV of his ethnic group. Oh. And um, yeah, and that, you know, that, that, that saddens me that people yeah. do that. Um and I should have done it for mine. What's that? I should have changed my last name when I apply for jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Elijah Smith. Yeah, just even that Elijah won't <laughs> No, so but I so Ryan has a mate, he said that his mate his name is Elijah and he's a white Australian. Wow. I often thought that Elijah was like generally linked toward more towards Pacific Islanders. I don't know why. Well, um because I it wasn't an overly popular name when I um, named you Elijah, and it was because it was a prophet in the Bible, and I really mm. liked the name, and it suits you. And Isaiah, or Isaiah, um, depending on uh, how you pronounce it. Um, Isaiah. Isaiah sounds ridiculous. Well, one's Western, I think. One's Western, I think, and one's Hebrew pronunciation. Which one's Hebrew? We say Isaiah. Isaiah is Western. So Isaiah is Hebrew? Oh, I think that's the pronunciation. <laughs> no, it's that's how people... I think that's the, the difference in the pronunciation of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I've um, come across that name lots, Isaiah. Yeah. That's become really popular. Yeah, it is. I think. I could be wrong on that because we're recording. There could be a lot of incorrect uh, <laughs> information. Hey, that's okay. <laughs> this, is, this is not a... Um, yeah, we don't need to worry about being experts or nothing on this podcast. It's okay. People have got Google. If people want to Google fact something and check whether we're wrong or right, they are more, they're welcome to. And if they want to uh, message the podcast and be angry about something that we made wrong, then they can do that as well. Um, we're here spitballing. You know, that is the cool thing about conversations without Google is that you can just wonder about things and let the podcast go where it, where it needs to go. Um, so anyway, let's go back to um, naming you Elijah. So I had Elijah, then Isaiah. And then when I named Summer, Summer, or when I say I, we. Yeah, um, you were like, what's the most basic bitch name that we could possibly come up with? <laughs> Elijah. Not and nice to your sister. On, and, we, and we landed on Summer. And um, also you're swearing again on your <laughs> podcast. That'll be um, definitely, you'll be getting a chat in the room in a minute. Anyways, um, no, so I had a couple of funny friends. That, they were like, what? 
We thought you'd at least go like a Rebecca or a Sarah or a female name out of the oh, Bible. Rebecca. Well, a female name out of the Bible. Yeah. And um, yeah, but anyway, Summer is what we agreed on. I actually wanted to call Summer Molly, the name oh. of my um, friend's dog, but I just liked the name. The name of my friend's dog. Yeah. <laughs> I just really like the name Molly. <laughs> you got it from your friend's dog. But we didn't agree on that. And then I really like the name Ruby. Um, oh, Ruby's kind of cool. Yeah. And when I was... Ruby, 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 Ruby. Yeah. When I was pregnant with you, I read um, Gone with the Wind and then the sequel. And I actually, Scarlet was one of the names that I had that I thought, oh, hard. Scarlet Witch. That would be cool. Cool yeah. superhero. Yeah. I mean... Think about if I'd named you Scarlet, regardless of your gender, how cool would you be today? You know, like in the Kenny Rogers song, a boy. I would be the most terrifying looking Scarlet ever. People would look on the, the job interviews and go, we've got Scarlet tell me to come in for a meeting and I walk in. It would be so horrific. <laughs> you know, like in the... Um, be, oh my God, Scarlet is a six foot someone. <laughs> six foot someone, man. That's outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny actually alexandria was the if you were going to be a girl was the, the female name that i think that we had landed on um very gender neutral because they could be alex right yeah i'm still liking the thought of naming you scarlet actually oh, now God, when i think be, about it that's hilarious yeah that would be horrific. a boy named sue kenny rogers what's your name hi i'm scarlet <laughs> 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 Scarlett O'Hara. <laughs> what, what about Isaiah? What, what, surely he had other other options for Isaiah. Oh, um, yeah, I think we had tossed around Ezekiel, but they were all biblical. I thought I was almost going to be called Ezekiel. No, that's incorrect. That's Isaiah. Israel was you, but Israel. Yeah. Oh, what was all these names? What your was grandmother it? was convinced or convinced me. She just wore me down. Um, that so many terrible things that happened in Israel, and that wasn't a Which good name. Which grandmother? Mama. Yeah. Yeah. That I shouldn't call you um, Israel. So, <laughs> Elijah, here it is. <laughs> Isaiah, Isaiah would have, he would have probably suited Ezekiel. Yeah. What do they I get? think from memory. But yeah, anyways, the thing is, um, there is so much choice, but I did not realize that there are certain things you are not, because people have got absolutely crazy on this. Uh, naming their children and now they there are certain laws within um countries of what you yeah. aren't allowed to name your child justice you yeah. can't you can no longer so justice who we know a justice and i've got a justice at school with a y yeah so i think it just i'm so i'm not sure about alternative spellings but i do know that justice is in like justice of the peace is an illegal name now yeah i think so, any name i was listening to recently any names that like Relating to like the crown and being a royal, like you can't call your son king, I'm pretty sure, or prince. I'm pretty sure Prince and Michael Jackson might disagree with you there. Why Michael Jackson? His name is Michael, and his child's name, yeah. But they're, they're in America, they're not under the crown, right? Oh, yeah, no, they're not, 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 part, not, of the Commonwealth. Part, not part of the Commonwealth, that's yeah. right. So, like, maybe it has something to do with um, being part of the Commonwealth, whereas Americans obviously don't care because there's several princes, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, as once, uh, as um, somebody who was once a royalist. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I can understand that. How could uh, you, I, I just don't understand even 
I mean, I Princess Diana, yes, I can understand liking her, but just the royals in general, it just seems so old-fashioned and just... It's from my mother. Remember, I had an old mother. Yeah, very true. And she was a royalist, and Kiwis very much were in awe of the royals. And, of course, we're part of the Commonwealth. Did they used to stand for God Save the Queen when you were younger? In movies? I can't remember. Someone told me that in movies they used to they used to play at the beginning of a movie they would play God Save the Queen and everyone would stand up. Okay, didn't see that. Maybe that was before. Okay. Yeah. Um, you couldn't pay me to stand up for God Save the Queen. No. Oh, I don't remember going too many times going to the movies as a child, apart from that one I was telling about Granddad yesterday. Oh, can you tell that story now? Um. Well, my um my father who uh, migrated over from Samoa in the sixties. Um, we talking fresh, fresh. Yeah, we're talking straight from the jungle, fresh. Couldn't. Um, I'm assuming that he could speak very little English. Actually, he couldn't speak um, a lot of English, and he couldn't speak much English when we were younger. So <laughs> yeah. I'm sure when he first came across, he was I, even more. I will never forget my friends when I was in high school telling me that they couldn't understand my dad. They thought that he was actually speaking Samoan, but that was his broken English. <laughs> but I could understand it because you. You become yeah. climatized to hearing people's accents in that. <laughs> and I was sharing with Elijah yesterday about how um, I was a young person, obviously not old enough to go to the movies by myself, and that my dad takes myself and my friend to the movies. He goes and sits at the end of the aisle um, with his transistor radio on up to his ear, listening um, for his race, race, the races <laughs> for the results because he had a little... Um, addiction to the TAB. <laughs> I don't know how many of you out there that are listening to this that are my age and probably can remember hanging around picking horses and being with your father at the TAB. Um, and then my dad lights up a smoke in the movie theatre. <laughs> and I just remember this particular time being really embarrassed because he was not conforming to any of the social etiquettes <laughs> that were required <laughs> when you take your child to the movies. But you, could, could you, could, you could smoke anywhere, right, back then? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't the movie scene was a bit wild. Yeah, I don't think you could. I don't know why that sticks in my head, but... Yeah. You, know, you know what I remember, and I'm sure I remember this. Because this would have been well in the 70s. Well, even when I was younger, I do remember going to Denny's with, with um, Peel, with Dad, and um, there being a smoking section in Denny's, and then being a non-smoking section. Yeah. Am I... Now, I'm wondering, did I make that up in my head? No, we... I, or was, I think there, there, was were... there really a time... In, because it would have been in the early 2000s, because I remember it. Yeah, I can't remember when they changed the smoking rules. But yeah. yeah, I can't remember. It must anyway, have been in my lifetime yeah. for me to remember that. Well, something that um, that fascinates me is the vaping, because mm. we at school had this period of time where I used to make a joke about there were more teachers behind the bike sheets smoking than what we had students. Mm. It was just the education on how smoking wasn't good for you and also having to stand outside um, made smoking so unattractive. We barely had any students, but we still had these adults smoking, going, yeah. you know, and it's illegal to smoke on a school site, um, so they'd have to go off-site. And then vaping starts. Yeah. This is the biggest problem now. I mean, the amount of stand-downs, um, because we don't know, we want to educate the kids. Uh, there's not enough known about it. Yeah, um, you're trying to educate kids on something that you guys probably don't know much about. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, knew, I don't, I only know one adult 
that vapes, I think. Oh my god, here it's gone off. So I think vaping was always well, they big. Could be, there could be more. Vape, I don't know. Yeah. Vaping has been big for like for years, and Hugh and I used to when we lived together would would vape. We had those ones where you put the oils in. They're like big. They like almost look like mini phones. Like they were quite big and thick, and it wasn't that popular because those were such a hassle, right? You had to carry around you had to carry around um, the oils that you put inside of it, and they were just a bit of a hassle. They then came out with these little little vapes that are, um, you didn't have to carry around the oils. They weren't massive. They didn't have big, big, they weren't hard to carry around. They were little and sexy and kind of like fashionable and they come in different colors. And here in Sydney, they just took off. So everyone, everyone I know vapes, every single person that I know, everyone I live with vapes. I live with five people, um, all their partners vape. Do they understand the health risks of vaping and what it's doing to their lungs? Do you understand the health risks? Who, who even understands the health, health risks of vaping? But have we learned nothing after all those years where people smoked and smoked, smoke yeah, inside, even... smoke in the car, their kids with the windows wound up, and then all of a sudden people realise, or it's connected, sorry, people don't realise, it's connected to um, all the harmful effects of smoking. Yeah, but everyone's knowing that. People don't care. People don't care. People really like... Um, oh no, people do. People did. Ch- it did modify people's behavior. Yeah, but like some, that, but, to some degree. But people still do it, right? Yeah. Like, and and young people in particular still do it. And I think vaping kind of took away the gross things of smoking. So if you if you could vape and smell like strawberry muffins, you go back <laughs> into you go back into the workplace. You don't stink of smoke. Your fingers don't stink. Um, it's not nearly as expensive. Um, you don't have to ash anywhere. You don't have to ash out. Um, is it, it addictive? I mean, definitely, definitely addictive. I yeah. mean, yeah, for sure. Um, but it took away all the gross, you know, sort of the gross things about smoking, and that every single person does it, and it's so huge here. And I think it's the same as like I'd say if, that's an extreme statistic. Not every single person. Majority. Obviously, not every single person, but but nearly everyone I see. I mean, I've, I've oh, yeah. and and. and anecdotal but from my life everywhere i go the places i go the majority of people do vape and i think it's the same as like tattoos if you took away the gross things about tattoos the fact that it hurts and that you bleed everyone would do it and um that's kind of what happens with cigarettes and you, you, you're taking away the kind of yuck stuff of it and it's yeah, just going crazy I, I find it i find it hard to understand how we went from knowing um well smoking harmful to your health and then everybody picking up vaping and not the thought for how it's harmful to, to your health yeah I just it, it, in the beginning it was advertised as a way to get off smoking so i think that people thought that that was because you can you can manipulate the amount of yeah. uh, nicotine that you have and so you can slowly yeah, wean off you can slowly wean off cigarettes and to the point where you have no nicotine um and you can do that so I think it was seen as an alternative and then people obviously thought that because of that it's much healthier so if I was going to consider smoking and with the health risk that it was of course I'm going to vape because it's nowhere near as harmful but um we don't know yet people are gonna I mean I, I'm well the, the talk I mean I suppose that the um there is talk about the harm it possibly does to adding moisture to your lungs or whatever it is um, yeah. that I've that I've heard that I don't know is true. Haven't read enough about it or researched enough about it, but um, we all know that there uh, could be long term effects from it. Mm. Mm. There was this thing that I learned when I was younger that if you stop smoking 
because the body is an amazing um, organ mm. or um, consists of amazing organs. And um, if you stop smoking by a certain age, and they've done lots of studies on this, and I think it, I think it was around thirty five that you the damage done through smoking could be um, reversed. Yeah, well, not reversed, but your body starts to heal itself, mm. um, and then. Uh, um, yeah, sort of like an economy to scale if you're still smoking beyond that. I don't know how true that is, but um, yeah, damn. yeah. But anyways, um, it's an, it's interesting. I don't. I think vaping looks weird for me, but haven't done it, mm. um, and was always surprised when I was a young person that I'd meet people that never ever had a smoke, you know, because that was so common mm. um, when I was younger. So I suppose now I'm one of those people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have no intentions of vaping. Yeah, I sometimes mean, I think cars in front of me are on fire, um, uh, but I don't jump out with the uh, um, fire yeah, <laughs> extinguisher the, uh, and spray. The yeah, it's, it is quite comical to follow, like the cars in front of you, and then there are these big lots of smoke, you know, yeah. floating out the window. Um, I've, no, I have I, a giggle. I, I can't. Um, I can't vape. My for whatever reason, my lungs. Every time I have a vape, I cough and splutter, but I can have a cigarette. And I could quite easily have a cigarette, and it doesn't. It's it's much smoother than a vape. So I don't know what's going on there. Um, special, yeah, special. You're special Elijah. Gifted, gifted. Yeah, we're um, not allowed to say special anymore, are we? No, no. We can you can use the R word. Retarded's fine. It is absolutely not. It is absolutely fine. It's it's gone. It, it, it's not okay to use it um, towards people who have disabilities, but it's okay to use it towards people like my brother Isaiah. I can call him retarded, and that's completely fine. Anyway, we have spoken for long enough, and um, it has been an hour and 17 minutes and 35 seconds, and if you've listened this way through, I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Um, Mum, it was lovely to do a podcast with you. Um, I love talking to you, and it is very nice to have you here in the country. Um, is there anything you would like to sign off on? Anything you would, any, any, any last words or anything that you would like to end with? Um, no, thank you for inviting me to do a podcast with you, Elijah. I am concerned um, for the mental well-being of anybody who wants to listen to us waffle on for that period of time, <laughs> particularly myself. I find you entertaining and you have a very smooth voice, um, but I'm sure there's help out there for you guys who have actually managed <laughs> to stay listening for that whole period of time. God bless. And Elijah is definitely going to have to do some chores for his swearing and his <laughs> meanness towards his siblings on this podcast. Um, thank you very much. That is all. Thank you for tuning in. Yeah, again, can't thank enough to the people who are who has you know stayed loyal listeners and who are still listening. Um, like and share and do all those good things to support the podcast. Um, and also go follow us on Instagram if you haven't yet. If you if you don't yet, um, Master of Nothing Podcast. Uh, that is the handle. So thank you, and I will see you next episode. Goodbye.